All right, everyone. Good morning. My name is Ty, and I'm reading our New Testament lesson today. Um, it comes from 2 Timothy 3, uh, verses 14 through chapter 4, verse 5. Starting in 14. But you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know that you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught the Holy Scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired, inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to the sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires, and they will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, God, we thank you uh, for this room and I thank you for these people. I thank you that uh, week after week you show up here. And so uh, we just ask your Holy Spirit to come. We ask you to come and move here, move in us. Um, I pray, as we pray often, that you give us the courage to look inside ourselves at the things that you want to expose inside of us, the things that you want to renew inside of us, the things that you want to put back together inside of us. I thank you that um, you are good to us and kind to us, and so I pray that in our time together we learn more about you and in turn more about ourselves. In your name we pray. Amen. Hi. Usually I've already been out here by this point. It's nice to see you. Uh, I'm Lindsay. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, welcome. Um, I have a story for you that I sort of have permission to tell. Um, I, I, ha I have three kids. I have twins that are 12, Campbell and Graham. Um, uh, they're, they're bananas, and they're, they're very different. Uh, I don't, does anyone have twins in their family? Okay, so I think... Oh, Daniel raised his hand. <laughs> um, uh, so, so the twins are fascinating. They're just, they're just interesting. Um, and and our, our boys are really different. If you see them, they, they look very much the same. You might even think that they're very similar, but if you know them, then you know that they're really different. They, they, it's, it's interesting as they get older how things come out that are, are just different. Like, um, like school was, was interesting. Uh, Campbell tends to like love math and science, and then Graham tends to love English and social studies. And, and so they just, their differences start to, to play out. And then you find places where you see um, maybe a little more clearly how different they are. Uh, sports is one of those ways for us. Um, I, I used to get, like, I sort of had a chip on my shoulder because people would say, we'll call Graham the athletic one. And it's like having twins and calling one the pretty one, but like the boy version, that's off. Don't do that. Don't ever do that to, to any humans, but especially twins. And so 
like Graham's athletic and Campbell's artsy or something. I'm like, well, it's not that Campbell's not athletic. He's just athletic in a way that's different than Graham. Graham is a really confident athlete, uh, and, and that looks more athletic. Does that make sense? Like Graham, uh, they both play baseball. Uh, for a while, Graham still does Campbell quit. Uh, but Graham walks up to the plate 100% sure he's hitting a home run every time. Has he? Once. Every time. And so he looks, he like looks the part. Campbell walks up to the plate just praying not to strike out. That's two different people. What's interesting is Campbell actually has more home runs than Graham, but he, he lo- they just look different. And so um, right now they're both running cross country. And, and so we're seeing this play out. Like Campbell is a, or Graham is a confident athlete. So he runs every cross country meet. Again, 100% sure that he's going to be in the top five. He usually is in the top 200 or so. And, um, <laughs> Um, he is so confident, and um, and Campbell is just different. Campbell is running um, for pacing. You know, you're like, so I was talking to him last, it was the state championship meet yesterday. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, all this is old news, um, but it was a state championship meet yesterday, and, um, and I'm talking to Campbell last week, and I was like, so what's your plan? Like, what's your race plan on Saturday? What are you going to do? And he was like, mom, it's all about pacing, and I'm like, not at state. It's not all about pacing. You got you to gotta run, man. It's like you, and so I told him, I was like, my friend David, here's what he tells his daughter. He says, if you just look at the person in front of you and you're always passing the person in front of you. So you, you run a race person by person or bird by bird, you know, like you're running one person. Then just look at the person in front of you and beat them and pass them. And I just think that's a great strategy. So I'm really, you know, instilling this in Campbell. And Campbell says, oh, I, I don't like to pass people because I don't want them to feel bad about themselves. Yeah, that's sweet. So I respond, what? <laughs> and I said, the whole point is to pass people. And he says this, why do you have to make everything a competition? And I say, because it is a competition. <laughs> it is a race, like an actual race. The whole point of it is for someone to win and for people to beat each other. Meanwhile, Daniel's like, please stop killing the magic that is our child. <laughs> and I'm like, it's state, man. We gotta be serious. And so I'm like, Campbell, you got like you gotta give your you gotta you gotta pass some people. And I was like, here's the deal. I will pay you $30 if you beat Graham. <laughs> Not the way to parent twins. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll pay you $30 if you beat Graham. Because here's what I know. Um, competition does not motivate Campbell, money motivates Campbell. <laughs> and so that's where they're different. And so I'm like, I'll pay you $30. And he says, again, why do you have to make this a competition between me and Graham? It's not a competition between us. And I said, yes, it is. Graham is a competitor in the race. He has entered the race. Your job is to beat him because he's in the race. And so I said, Campbell, I am commissioning you as your mother to kick Graham's butt. <laughs> Daniel, just <laughs> sadness. And um, so well, that's what I do. And um, here's what happened. They, they ran like crazy. I ran, like, I, like, see him at one point. I sprint with everything I have and then took a break and then sprinted again to try to get to the finish line. And I get this picture of them ending. Can you see it? Do you see this? Their chests, they they have the exact same time to one one one-hundredth of a second. Their chests cross the line. Technically, Graham's nose has crossed the line faster. 
But they, one, one, they, it was like 1609.45 to one one hundredth of a second. They had the exact same time. They got the exact same place. Um, you can vote amongst yourselves. You can fill out a comment card and say if I should pay Graham or pay Campbell 30 bucks or not, or 15, 15. You, you put that in the offering box with your offering. Um, <laughs> you can put 30 bucks in there um, if you want to. Um, but so, so, so they, re- I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that, but it was absolutely incredible. I screamed like a lunatic on the side. My friend Julie, I texted her a picture and she said, I would give anything in the world to watch you on the finish line right now. And I was like, no, you, no, it's, it's humiliating. Um, but um, so I was thinking about this yesterday as I was standing on the finish line um, because we, I wanted to talk about commissioning today um, in a completely different way than a mother commissioning their child to kick the butt of their other child. Um, we have a very different view of that today uh, in our scriptures. Uh, in our text this week, um, we've been uh, spending the last few weeks in letters from Paul to Timothy. So it's a spiritual father to a spiritual son who's giving him um, advice, who's telling him um, the ways and the means of Jesus. And, and so we're almost at the end of the second letter to Timothy. And what that means is Paul is at the end of his life, and so he's, he's getting everything he can out there to his son. And so our text today ends with this spiritual father uh, and this beautiful commission to his spiritual son. So again, this is Paul at the end of his life, almost at the end of his letter, and he authorizes and empowers and mandates Timothy in this incredible way. I want to read it again in verse 4. He says this, I saw Paul to Timothy, Timothy. I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. Paul looks at his protege, his spiritual son, and he says, Timothy, go preach. Go and preach. Go and do what God has made you to do. You're a preacher, so you should go do it. And you should do it when you feel like it, and you should do it when you don't feel like it. Uh, One translation says in season and out of season. Go and do this. And when you go and preach, go do it with kindness and do it with correction and do it with patience and do it encouraging and make it good. Don't be a bad preacher. I like that that line's in there. If you're going to preach, you might as well make it good. Um, I feel like I owe you all an apology. Um, (laughs) Timothy, go and do what you have been made to do, no matter uh, which way everyone around you is going or what they're buying into with a clear mind and a clear heart. Keep on preaching. It is a good commission. It's like this empowering big deal. Here's what you're supposed to do. Here's, don't you wish someone came in your life and said, here's who you are and here's what you're supposed to do. I've been waiting for that message forever. Actually, it happened to me. That's why I'm doing this. Um, but that's what's happening. He's saying, here's who you are and here's what God has made you to do. Now I'm empowering you and I'm commissioning you uh, to go do it. And so the truth is, uh, while this section of scripture is wildly applicable to all of us uh, in loads of ways, I want to take sort of a wider angle view of commissioning in the scriptures, of these um, uh, calls to the people of God of who we're supposed to be and what we're supposed to be about. Um, So as a follower of Jesus, you have been authorized and empowered and mandated to do some stuff. And so I want to look at what what does God ask us to do uh, as a person and what does God ask us to do as a Jesus follower. And so if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, um, 
you are so welcome here. You're not just welcome here. You're needed in this room. And, um, and so welcome. And I think this is a good Sunday to come because I'm peeling back the curtain saying this is what people of Jesus are supposed to be like. And so you get to decide if we are or not. Um, and plus, there's a commissioning uh, here for you too. So uh, there are plenty of places that commissioning or mandates or empowerings happen. In the scriptures, I just want to look at two today. Um, it's sort of the first one, and um, the first one from God and the last one from Jesus. Um, and they are, they are really the two with the widest net that apply uh, to all Jesus followers. Uh, there are some commissions that are like, this people for this time, or this thing, or this job, or whatever. These are, if you say you follow Jesus, these apply to you. So there are two things that uh, God really clearly commands and empowers and delegates and mandates his people to do. Uh, so we started this series at the very beginning talking about the very simple gospel of Jesus, the story of us being prone uh, to wonder and get stuck in the brambles and the story of the God who through Jesus has come after us and who has always come after us. And so today, these mandates, these commissions are sort of the answer to what's next. Like if God is real and Jesus is real and he's really rescued me, what does that look like after that rescue? What are, what are the next steps in following Jesus? Who are we actually, what's the picture of who we are meant to be? What are the ways and the means of following Jesus in the world? Um, G.K. Chesterton says that the way of Jesus has not been tried and found wanting or tried and disappointing. That he says the way of Jesus has been found difficult and left untried. And so these commissionings, commissionings are the uh, beautiful and difficult invitations of a king to his people. An invitation, a drawing into something deeper and wider and wilder than we have ever imagined. So uh, the first one takes place at the very beginning of the Bible. Um, um, if you take the Bible to be the word of God, then, then that would say that uh, it's what we believe is the very beginning of humanity. Human, humans come on the scene. The Bible's answer to that is God creates them, and he creates Adam and Eve. And, and so, um, so we believe that this is the very beginning of humanity. And, and so God creates the world. He creates people. And then he looks at the people that he's created. This is in Genesis chapter 2. So everything has just happened. And he looks at the people he's created, and he gives them a really clear commission. He looks at them in Genesis chapter 2 and he says, watch over the earth and cultivate it. Genesis 2.15, watch over the earth and cultivate it. Uh, Eugene Peterson, the message version of this, he says um, that God looks at man and he says, your job is to work the ground and keep it in order. Work the ground and keep it in order. Uh, theologians call this the cultural mandate or the creation mandate. That as human beings, this is just humanity. Jesus comes later. As a person, your job is to work the ground and bring order to it. Uh, one of the great misses, I think, of the evangelical church uh, in the last couple of decades, and I just think there are quite a few, and we're the church, so we can talk about it. Um, one of the great misses is that when we tell the story of God and people, uh, we, we don't start where it starts. The evangelical church kind of came on the scene and, and, and started telling the story at sin and instead of where the story actually starts. The story of God and people does not begin uh, with sin. The story of God and people begins with uh, human beings made in the image of God as the crown jewel of creation. Our story as humans, according to the Bible, begins uh, with us in a perfect garden, in perfect community, with a very good father. And our story begins with a commissioning. 
in that garden a, a mandate from this father to cultivate and tend and develop and create to bring order and thriving into the world. Before there is sin or darkness or a great fall in God's plan, in his perfect original plan, in his perfect original order and design, there is an empowering and empowering for all of human beings. Work the ground and keep it in order. Cultivate, intend, and grow, and create. And this is very, very important. It's very, very important that, that we know and understand that our story begins with creation. It begins with creation. It begins um, as a story of dignity. It begins as a story of creativity, as a story of empowering, as image bearers. Of the king. Uh, the beginning of the story matters because it informs how we live and how we work and how we make things work all over this world. So, uh, the beginning, it matters be also because um, it's what we're working toward. The beginning was perfect. It's what we're trying to return to. Uh, because we've been commissioned by God uh, who created something out of nothing, God has commissioned us to create some things out of the something that He created. There's a big deal that we understand this because where we begin matters. Uh, we say around here a lot that we were created on purpose for a purpose. And, and this is part of what we mean, that we weren't an accident. We weren't just like magically. The, the story of the scripture doesn't uh, tell the story of someone who just magically arrived and like, we'll see what happens. We believe that we were created on purpose by God for a purpose, that we weren't an accident or an oversight. That we were created, woven together by the hands of God and placed into this world uh, for a purpose. And, and, and we believe this is what it was. You were created on purpose for the purpose of tending the earth, of cultivating and creating the cultural mandate, the creation mandate. Uh, you were created and commissioned by God to join him in the work that he started. Uh, but something happened. So, so this is the beginning of the story. It's not the entire story. Because right after this commissioning between God and the first man and first woman is the fall. This moment where uh, the two created beings walked outside of what God asked them to do. They walked outside of their commission and a new kind of darkness fell uh, onto the world. Um, sin is not the beginning of the story, uh, but it is part of the story. Uh, sin is not a very popular thing to talk about these days. I don't say the word up here very often at all. Um, I don't know if you've noticed, you, you haven't sent me emails complaining yet, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not very popular. The reason I don't use that word very much is I think there's just really horrible baggage associated to it. If you grew up in church in the South, then my hunch is you have some really terrible baggage around the word sin. Um, but the truth is, uh, to be honest, um, it's part of the story. It isn't the beginning of the story, but it's part of the story. God and the world, in my mind, they don't make much sense uh, without sin. If, if God is real and there was no fall or no darkness or no sin or whatever word you want to use for it, uh, then he must be a pretty powerless or hands-off or just mean God. Because the truth is our world is bonkers, right? We are horrible to each other. As human to human, we are absolutely terrible to each other. And, and not for lack of trying, I, I haven't found any religion or belief system or scientific study that, that explains why human beings are so horrible to each other without sin being a thing. So, so as people, in the very beginning, we get this commission to cultivate, intend, and bring order uh, to the world. And then uh, something happens, and there's this fall. And what happens is we have this commission, and then we do it sometimes. 
That's part of the darkness, is that uh, God asked us to do something, and then we stopped doing it all the time. Like sometimes we uh, work for the earth, and then sometimes we do not work for the earth, we destroy it. And sometimes in this world we bring order to it, and sometimes we don't, and we bring absolute chaos into the world. God has given us a job, and we do it sometimes. Uh, I wonder what would happen in your actual job if, if your boss gave you something to do and then you're like, yeah, I'll do that sometimes. My hunch is you would not work there anymore. Yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh, what makes God so absolutely fascinating is that God in his great mercy uh, that we sang about in that first song that I can't get enough of. God in his great mercy, uh, he does what he asks us or he does what he asks us to do. He enters into the world as Jesus, and he spends his life working the ground and bringing order to it. We did it sometimes. God comes, and he does it perfectly. He works the ground, and he brings order to it. He gives his life in this great act of mercy and redemption. And so our story that starts with creation and cultivating, and then there's this moment where darkness enters it, and then Jesus comes, and he does it perfectly, and he redeems all of it. And, and then the story doesn't stop there. I think another myth of the evangelical church is that uh, we tell the story like it starts at sin, and then we tell the story like it ends in redemption, and, and there's nothing more. And here's the truth. Uh, sin and redemption are two parts of a very good story, and they are two very crucial parts of the story. But the story doesn't end with we were sinners and Jesus died for us. The story keeps going. There's more to it. In 2 Corinthians 5, uh, Paul tells us that God made Jesus, who knew no sin, who knew no darkness, to become our darkness, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. There's another part. God came to redeem us in order to uh, let us do something. The story doesn't end in rescue. It ends in renewal. It ends in these things being put back together. And so as much as the beginning of the story matters, uh, the end of the story matters. Because at the end of our story, we find another commission. Uh, it, it's another mandate from God. In Acts chapter 1, um, as Jesus, the end of Jesus' life, he has died, he has come back to life, and he's going back to heaven, and he stands in front of his people. And this is a more specific commissioning. The first mandate from God is for all of humanity. This commissioning is for the, the people who want to follow the way of Jesus. And in Acts chapter 1, uh, verse 8, he gives this. It's called the Great Commission. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to you, and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem and throughout Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus, his very last words on this uh, earth were a commission. To his people, he gives, um, it's not the creation mandate, it's the kingdom mandate of who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to live out this world as we follow him. And he says, go empowered by the Holy Spirit and tell the story everywhere. Go tell the story of the God who makes all things new everywhere. And in this moment, I think that Jesus is uh, 100% saying that as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to go out into the world and with our actual words, tell his precious people the, the greatest story of how they were made on purpose for purpose, of how Jesus brought light into our darkness, how Jesus is the great hope of the world, of the God who has always and forever chased after us no matter what always and called us to himself and made all things new. 
He, acts, he means 100% that we're supposed to use our words and go tell that story. And at the same time, uh, Jesus has 100% absolutely commissioned us to also use our lives to do the same thing. It's not just our words, it's also our lives. His commission is to use our lives, our hands, our work, our play, our songs, our dances, our dreams, our jobs, all of the ways that we live in this world to tell the great story of the God who rescued his people, who never let them go, and who has restored and redeemed and rescued us because we are his own, the God who is making all things new. When we tell the story of God and his people in its fullness, then it means that our story begins and ends with this empowering commission by the God of the universe to join him in cultivating and joining him in creating, to join him in the rescue and the redemption of the world, to join him, we say it here, to join him in the renewal of all things. Uh, when we tell the full story with our lives, it means not just using our words and our mouths, it also means that what we do here matters. It It matters. We have been commissioned by God the Father and God the Son and empowered by the Holy Spirit to tell the story and to work the ground and to put things back into order. We have been commissioned and empowered to tell the story with our words and to tell the story of our lives of the God who is making all things new. And so how we work and how we interact with others, it becomes wildly important. And how we eat and drink and consume and dispose of things becomes wildly important. And how we live and neighbor and parent and learn, it becomes wildly important because you do not just exist on this earth to like bide your time to go to heaven. That's boring and not what you were made for. You have been empowered and commissioned to learn what it means for you in your life, in your space, in your context to live out uh, the purpose of creation and redemption and renewal and rescue. You are meant for cultivating the world and restoring order to tell the story of the God who puts things back together. How we live, it matters. It doesn't have the ability to save us. Uh, it doesn't have the uh, ability to, that's, that's not salvation. How we live uh, doesn't earn us a right place in God. We live well as people of God because we have been restored and set free and empowered for wonderful things in this world. And so because of that, as we draw near to Jesus, we start to come, become people who, empowered by the Holy Spirit, take our commission seriously. That we take our commission of, uh, of the fruit of the Spirit, of goodness and kindness and patience, uh, seriously. That we start to, to do the things that Jesus did seriously. That we start to learn how to live intentionally as if our life really does have a purpose. So, for example... Uh, when God tells Adam and Eve to cultivate the world at the very beginning, um, I, I think, and theologians agree, uh, that I think one of the things he's talking about there is like the actual world, like the earth, the dirt, the actual earth. And so I think that, that what, one of the things that that means is that um, the environment is our job. Who's supposed to worry about uh, pollution? Us. Who's supposed to worry about the environment? Us. It's not just the Democrats and the vegetarians. I think we have some Democrat vegetarians here. Can you help us? <laughs> help us know what to do. Who, whose job is it to worry about this stuff? Us. 
Our job, according to the Bible, is to see the broken things in the world and put them back into order, to cultivate and tend and put them back in order. Who's supposed to care about the underserved and the uninsured and the unborn and the unprivileged and, and all of these things? Who's supposed to care about all these things? Us. Us. Who's supposed to care about the oppressed? Us. Who's supposed to care about the outcast? Us. It, it, it's our job. And here's the thing, we're not going to all agree on how we're supposed to do this. That's the tricky part. Like, it's all of our job, and then we go sit together, and we're like, we should do it this way, we should do it this way. We're, we're not, we're not, that's why we pass the peace every week, and most every week I say that I think we should literally cross aisles with people we disagree on, on everything outside of this room, because in this room we agree on peace. Because the reality is we aren't going to agree on all the solutions of how this is supposed to be done. But not agreeing doesn't give us permission to not engage. It just doesn't. I wish it did. It, it doesn't. We, we were created to engage the broken things in this world. We don't get to bow out and twiddle our thumbs and wait for heaven because the problems are too overwhelming. It's really boring. What it means is that we learn how to lean in. What it means is that we beg God for the wisdom and courage and kindness to engage, to lean in. What it means is that we ask the Spirit for eyes to see the trouble all around us and for the creativity to figure out what a solution might be in our house and on our street and in our neighborhoods and our complexes and schools and businesses, cities, countries, states, nation, world. We look to God for the creativity and the wisdom and the courage and the kindness to engage in ways that put things back together for the courage to live out the commission that's been given to us. We learn to hear the voice of God as he calls us to people and he calls us to places and he calls us to things in need of rescue and renewal. Uh, so where do we start? Because this is exciting and it's overwhelming. Uh, where do we start? Uh, Frederick Buechner says this, um, uh, I was talking about calling the other day, and I, had, I just remembered this statement, and it was super helpful. Frederick Buechner says that when you're trying to figure that out, what am I supposed to do in the world? He says that our calling exists uh, where your joy, your great joy, and the world's great brokenness intersect. What lights you up and what's broken in the world, the place that those intersect, that's a great place to start for you. That's a great place to figure out, how do I live out the commission God gave me? I'm going to start in that little Cross point, intersection, I don't know the word. Uh, I'm going to start there. Uh, that's a great place to start. Because here's the thing. Uh, when it comes to kingdom work, we can't all do everything. That, that's not helpful for all of us to try to do everything. It's helpful for us to do the thing that we are made to do. It was really helpful for Timothy to preach. So Paul said, go preach. It might be really helpful for y'all to preach, and I will let you. <laughs> uh, but, but we're not all supposed to do everything. I was telling my dad this this week. Uh, we were talking, we were actually talking about my mom, and I, I was like, I think I've realized the older I get that um, I'm not very good at, I'm not a very good policymaker. Like, you know the people whose brains, like, they enter into the world, and they just think about the big picture, like, on the state level or on the national level. On the, and they make these policies, these rails in place to bring order back into the world. And that's my mom. My mom is literally changing the landscape of education in, in the country. Um, and there are actually other people that go to our church that are doing the same thing in different ways. She is changing the landscape of education in America because her great joy and the great brokenness of the world intersect in that moment. They do not for me. I, I mean, I hope you go to school. I think it's great. 
I drop my kids off every day. I love it. I believe in it. I think it's incredible. I will support you, and I will pray for you, and I will love you, and I will not teach your kids. You don't want me to do that. And I won't make the policies that put it all back in order and figure out the best way to teach your kids. You don't want me anywhere near that. Our commissioning doesn't mean that our job is to fix everything. Our commission means uh, that we have been sent out with eyes to see brokenness in front of us that needs repair. And we have been gifted to engage what we see. We've been gifted to engage what we see with our words, with our hands, with our actions, our prayers, financial support, whatever it is, we have been gifted to engage. So where do you actually start? Um, Here's my best advice. Start in your house, wherever you live. Start with the people that live in your house, and maybe that's just you. And start with you. Work on you. And then, and then kind of go out from there. Start with the people in your house, the trash going out of your house, the space inside of your house. Uh, Eugene Peterson talks a lot about how sometimes our eyes get too big and that as people we would do well to follow Jesus in our one square mile of concrete. So work in your house and then walk outside of your house and do a circle and look for broken stuff there and engage it. And let your circle get wider and wider and wider. Some of you were created to change policy in our town, in our state, in our country, all over the world. Do it. Please do it. Tell us how we can help you. Some of you were created, all of us, I think, to change policy in your home. Do it. Please. And how can we help you? Go out and let your eyes get wider and wider. Listen to the nudging of the, and the leading of the Spirit of God. I'm going to stop there because I've gone way too long. The band can come up. Let's, we'll pick up next week. I want to tell you stories of people who are doing this. I, that helps me when I, I'm like, oh, how are people doing this? And then I get creative and I get ideas. So uh, we'll pick up part two uh, next week. Uh, we, as the band's coming up, we're going to take a minute. We do this every week at the Vineyard. We call it Selah. Um, as a, I mean, I say it a lot. It's a word we stole from the Psalms that just means pause and take a breath. Pause and take a breath. Don't move on too quickly. And I just think that the Holy Spirit might be up to something here. I think that when we talk about commissioning, um, it's crazy. He has this way of doing it in us. That when we talk about being created uh, on purpose, for a purpose, the Holy Spirit has this way of being like, it's this. Um, I, I was the host at Maryville when Phil Strat was here, and I, I said during this time, I was like, I don't always love Selah because that's the point that the Holy Spirit elbows me in the stomach, and I'm like, not now. Not at church. Goodness. <laughs> I, I, it's uncomfortable. But let's just take a minute and let him elbow you. He might. And if he does, there's prayer in the front, and the most wise people who will just commission you like crazy. Let's pray. God, we thank you that uh, you know us and that you love us. I'm so thankful that uh, we didn't just end up on this world by accident with nothing to do other than wait. I don't know why you saw fit and good to empower someone like me someone's like us, but you have. 
So God, I just ask you to send your spirit in this room, and will you speak to us? Will you call out the things inside of us? Will you um, silence all of the ways in our head that we're saying, oh, no, I can't do that because I can't do that because the church tells me there's no room for me. I can't do that because um, I get awkward when I'm in front of people. I can't do that. because. Will you silence all of the I can't do that because and will we just listen to your true and honest voice saying, go preach, go teach. Go live. Go work. We be clear on the ways that you've asked us to cultivate, to tend the ground, and to put things back in order. Thank you that the story of our rescue is the story of great rescue for all of the world. In your name we pray.